This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. This is serious business right now. It's playoff time, baby. So I'm here with, of course, the fantasy hockey robot, the maestro of the matchup, the Corsi authority, the player projection pundit, Brightcom. I thought you were going to come up with like a new one every couple weeks rather than just add them to a running list that you're going to cite every single time. No? I mean, if anyone wants to help me come up with more nicknames for you. I'm not a you know a brilliant genius here coming up with fantasy hockey puns and and rhymes all the time. It's hard. You are a brilliant genius. Don't sell yourself short. Hello, by the way. Hello to you. Hello, everybody listening. Excited? Yeah. Playoff time. Things matter now for sure. So hopefully we'll have some advice. We got some feedback, Elon, in the form of a recent iTunes review on the U.S. store. Uh, CP and then like seven 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 said, "Great show. Be a little more decisive. We know you can't predict the future. Just tell us what you think." So I am pledging to be more decisive this show, and that's actually in large contrast to a- another review we got, which someone was mad that we couldn't predict the future. So thank you, CP, for your understanding. This one's for you. <laughs> well, yeah, now also I think it's going to be like the show's a little different as we approach the end of the year. All throughout, Brian would be preaching, you know, patience and you got to give people a chance. And you don't want to make rash decisions. At this point, we're talking about people. A lot of people are starting their quarterfinal one week matchup next week. You win or you're out. So I'm going to be asking if people should be dropping players that I never would have considered asking about before. So, Brian, you'll have to be decisive because people are going to have to make decisions. You can't just say, oh, let's give it another week or two and see. We got to make some tough decisions. Let's see what we come up with in today's show. Before we get into it, let's, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. They're right there with us, helping you make the tough decisions because they've got fantasy hockey content up the wazoo all the time. New articles. you got daily ramblings. All these tools also. Starting goalies, line combinations, a hot and cold list, which is actually very handy if you're preparing a fantasy hockey podcast such as this one. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. It's your source for anything fantasy hockey. But Brian, let's get started with our first tough decision, which is what should Braden Holtby owners do at this point? 
like this guy okay we're technically i like to start the show with injuries and this is like worse than an injury right at least if Braden holby was injured then i could say okay go ahead sash him and ir grab grubauer easy peasy japanesey but here we've got a guy not getting games in Braden holby grubauer is doing well people drafted Braden holby super early in their drafts they can't possibly drop him right or can they I don't know. So, okay, we've already discussed how bad the season has been for Holpe. I don't think we were expecting to be at a point where he may not even be getting starts in the fantasy hockey playoffs. But after putting up a sub-800 save percentage in three of his last five games, Holpe was on the bench for the Caps' last two games, and it looks like that will continue into next week. Brian, here's a coach from Barry Trotz who, when asked if he'll stick with Holpe as the number one goalie, he said... I think just like anything, we'll make that decision based on that he's played a lot of games and won a lot of games. So because he's number one doesn't mean you don't go with Groovy for just a bit so that Hopey can settle his game. We'll see with the goaltending coach just to see what the best thing for the long haul is. So all of that to say he's saying just because Hopey, what I take from that is like just because Hopey's the number one goalie doesn't mean we're not going to play Groovy or Philip Grubauer for a little while. And why not play Grubauer for a while, right? He's been great. He had a shutout win over the Sharks yesterday. He stopped 26 of 28 in a 2-1 loss to LA on Thursday. Great games and wins in his previous three starts as well with 100% save percentages in the recent games that he relieved Holpe after he flamed out. And usually when a goalie comes in, relieving a goalie who's been bad, they have a tough run of it. Grubauer's even been great when coming in for relief. So it seems like Grubauer is going to be the guy for the next little while. But the question is, for how long is it time for people to consider dropping Holpe? Or is Holpe worth holding to take up a roster spot during your fantasy playoffs? And then I guess before you, I've actually let you speak, Brian, I'll just also ask, obviously, the flip side of this coin is like should people be rushing to grab Grubauer off a of free agency next week Washington they're home to Winnipeg on Monday then they have a home and home series against the Islanders on Thursday Friday and then they're at Philly on Sunday so it's not the best schedule like a lot of games but a lot of tough teams but at the same time if Grubauer is the starting goalie on the caps for the foreseeable future how can you not want him well, you might want Philip Grubauer in the near future. Let's start with Holtby, though. The last time we talked about Braden Holtby on our Sunday regular show, we cut Holtby some slack. I was saying that what the Capitals were doing in front of Braden Holtby was as much the culprit as anything else in contributing to what is going to be Holtby's first sub-920 season in four years. Of course, it'll also be by far the lowest save percentage mark of Holtby's career, 9.07 right now. That puts him far below the previous low watermark of 9.15. So that's ugly. Uh, There's less to defend for Braden Holtby with the way he's played lately, though I'm not blaming the team in front of him quite as proportionately. Uh, I think he deserves a fair amount of the blame if you've been watching how he's been doing himself over the last couple of weeks. It looks like the wheels just sort of started falling off. So For that reason, Grubauer should be added in just about all formats. I don't see this situation being so potentially different from, say, Hutton and Allen in St. Louis, where Allen wasn't getting the job done. Hutton came in, got the job done, and was able to wrestle significant starts away. If Grubauer can get the Caps back on track, I think they're happy to go with him. If he plays about average, maybe that opens the door for Braden Holtby to start at least like every third game until he's able to turn in a couple consistent performances. But until that happens, I'm happy to have uh, potentially a free agent goalie on a pretty darn good team to throw onto my roster to start me at least one game this week. 
So, yeah, and the big difference between what happened in St. Louis with Allen and Hutton is at that point, for us on the pockets, we were able to say, well, probably you want to hold on to Allen because eventually he'll take over as the starter, and he did. But I mean, it's helped that Carter Hutton is injured right now that we don't know how long he'll be out, but we're not talking about St. Louis. On Washington, it's like, Brian, I don't think you actually answered. Do the Hopi owners drop him at this point, or do they waste a spot? Like, let's say you're going into your quarterfinal matchup starting next week, one week, one week, one week, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, then you're done. Do you hold Hopi? at this point or do you like drop him for group hour if group hour is available that's a really tough call and of course it depends on what other goaltending options are available in your league i think it's a pretty bold move if you're ready to just cut ties with Braden holt be all together however if you need skater stats and you can only hold on to one goalie there are only what 13 14 games left in washington season so how many more starts are you going to get out of Holt B? Are you even going to make it to the next round of the playoffs if you hold Holt B? These are the questions you need to ask yourself to make that decision. That is true, Brian. I would say this week, like I said, the Capitals are going Thursday, Friday against the Islanders. So they'll probably get Holt B in for one game and Grubauer in for the other game. So you might as well at least hold Holt B until then and then maybe reassess. See if you still want to hold him over the weekend, depending how he does in his next start. And also, by the way, speaking of the Capitals, where's the offense gone lately? They've scored only three goals in their last three games. And one of those was an empty netter. And Brian, one of the big reasons why we might get eliminated from one of our leagues today is because Alex Ovechkin has gone pointless in three games. Right when we needed him most. Oh my God. Like Ovechkin having such a great year. And all of a sudden, quiet not that his owners can do anything about it of course i'm not going to ask if people should be dropping alex ovechkin of course they shouldn't but are you seeing anything concerning about washington's lack of scoring during their west coast road trip last week or are you just as confident as ever in them breaking out starting at home versus winnipeg tomorrow like just as confident as you would have been on last sunday's episode that washington's going to score a lot of goals in their next game This, to me, for the Capitals' offense, just looks like a rough patch. The Capitals' five-game rolling average for their team shot rate had fallen to its deepest depths a few weeks back in February, but it's bounced back up to a league average level over the Capitals' most recent five games. Their shot rate is still nothing special, but it's about as good as we've been able to expect from them this year. Of course, having as good a shot rate as they've had this year has lined up perfectly with a shooting percentage funk in which they've just scored three goals on their last 88 shots, roll in not getting one single power play chance in Saturday's game at San Jose, and we're seeing a pretty perfect storm of some very not fun times for the Washington offense, which I do think is going to wake up. That's my prediction. It's not a very bold one. And of course, maybe by the time you're listening to this episode, you'll know if Ovechkin got a hat-trick tomorrow versus the Winnipeg Jets. But since we're talking about goalies letting their owners down, why don't we go to Philly and talk about what's going on with Petr Morozik? Things were going so well for him in Philly when he first arrived, and then he just cratered over the past couple of weeks. I remember, like, finally on the podcast, we're like, ah, maybe Morozik finally is in a good spot. Now, I mean, who knows? Before yesterday's great 2-1 win over the Jets, he put up four straight losses, letting in four-plus goals and putting up a sub-900 save percentage in each of those games. Brian, my neck is hurting from all this back and forth of whether Morozik is a reliable fantasy goalie or not. Yes, he was great yesterday versus the Jets, but should his owners be depending on him for their fantasy playoffs if they're still alive, or should they be very, very weary? And I guess the big question is if you have Morozik, and you're going into your quarterfinals next week, would you drop him for Grubauer if he's available? And second question, what do you think of my finally pronouncing this goalie's name correctly? Petr Morazic, not Peter Morazic, as I think I've been saying all uh, season long. Well, I barely know who you're talking about, but I'm still going to try and roll with it. Morazic, when did we ever say, by the way, that Petr Morazic was a reliable 
fantasy goalie or even Peter Mrazek. We've never said that about him either. And beyond that, when's the last time that the Philadelphia goalie, whoever it's been, has been a reliable fantasy play? Now, I know, I know we were touting the Flyers as one of the league's hottest teams a couple weeks back, and they do remain a legit playoff contender. But as I was commenting to someone in our Facebook group this weekend, Elon, Mrazek seems to be as good or bad a bet on any given night, regardless of opponent or anything else that's just entirely circumstantial. The last short pattern that you just summarized speaks to how unreliable, how up and down he can be. The upside is there, but so is the downside. As for who I'd prefer between Mrazek and Grubauer, I will take Grubauer for numbers, but Mrazek, if I'm hungrier, for getting starts because again we don't know what the Holtby Grubauer balance will look like going forward though even if I am looking to Mrazek the last I heard from Philadelphia beat writer Dave Isaac was that Brian Elliott is not expected to return for the regular season which was news for just about everyone like I had to dig for it today though it has not been widely circulated yet so if you have to think that Brian Elliott is not getting back into the net this season doesn't mean Mrazek is going to run the table right? Alex Lyon is going to get in the net at some point, though if that happens, I don't know if he's going to be given a shot for a follow-up performance, expecting Mrazek to just retake the net. So all that to say, Mrazek is still the better play if you're looking for starts and you're looking further ahead, but short-term, I like Grubauer. Yeah, and again, this is kind of all about short-term if you're going into a quarterfinals. I would be very nervous about playing Mrazek and potentially blowing up my save percentage and goals against average categories just to chase an extra game on the week. And Brian, by the way, I don't know where you're seeing these news items. I've been seeing lots of back and forth. I saw something saying that Elliot and Neuwirth would both not be back before the playoffs, and then I saw something else just like an hour later saying they both might be back for a game or two. So I think it's still kind of up in the air for both of those guys. But anyway, since we're on Philly, let's talk about the other big news there which is that Wayne Simmons has finally returned from his upper body injury that caused him to miss seven games he returned on Wednesday versus Pittsburgh and in three games so far he has a total of one even strength assists also only five hits and five shots in those three games combined so definitely not the injection of production into their lineups that his owners were hoping for I'm talking about Wayne Simmons here not great and also he was on line three yesterday versus the Jets with Michael Roffel and Valtteri Filpula and was also in his regular spot on the top power play so obviously that's a great spot Right when that first game back started on Wednesday, Brian, we were doing our weekly mailbag show with the patrons and Nolan Patrick scored a power play goal. It looked like he was going to be on the top power play and Wayne Simmons wouldn't even be getting there. But it looks like Simmons has retaken that job. We'll see how long it lasts. So like I said, no power play points so far since his return. Another concerning thing is that he's had less than 15 minutes of time on ice in his last two games compared to his 18 minutes and 20 second average on the season. That's a three minute drop. That's huge. So Brian, what are you making of Simmons at this point? The playoffs are the time to make big cuts, like I said at the start of the show, and maybe Simmons has to be one of them. We're going to be bringing up a bunch of appealing free agent options on today's show. Would Simmons be someone you'd consider letting loose at this point, saying that a couple of playoffs where hits aren't even counted? First, just a quick fact check, Elon. It was a gorgeous power play assist from Nolan Patrick, and that was while... Uh, I think Wayne Simmons, I don't know if it was to draw the penalty, but he'd taken a high stick or something. So he's off for repairs. Nolan Patrick just stepped in to that top power play line very temporarily because Wayne Simmons wasn't available and did something on the power play that Wayne Simmons does not do. Like Wayne Simmons does not set up pretty passes. He's that big net front presence. So it was interesting to see Nolan Patrick take advantage of that extra little small window, even with Simmons healthy in the lineup. And if you have Simmons on your roster, you've been waiting for him to come back. I don't know, if you've been a Wayne Simmons owner all year long, you already know that 
you should not be letting him get too comfortable on your roster. He's on pace for a very disappointing 46 points in 75 games, which would allow him to just barely sneak up to 50 points if we were to give him an 82-game pace. This is going to be Wayne Simmons' worst season since he made his Philadelphia debut as a 23-year-old back in 2011-12. Elon, do you remember where he played before that? Oh, man, no. No idea. He started his career as an L.A. King, I remember, because in my NHL 09 Dynasty... I knew you'd say NHL (laughs) Dynasty EA Sports. I had uh, Wayne Simmons, Matt Molson, and Brian Boyle just tearing up the league for like a decade. Anyway, uh, Wayne Simmons, like I said, on pace for his worst season since a 23-year-old in 2011-2012. Now, Simmons has still managed 16 power play points and is on pace to finish in his usual like low to mid-20s range there. Thank goodness for that because his even strength scoring just has not been there. Part of that is due to Simmons's low on ice shooting percentage. Part of it may also be due to fewer offensive zone starts, so I don't think that moves the needle a whole lot. Really, it's Simmons' own individual numbers that tell the tale. A 33% decrease in shot attempts per 60 minutes. That's a big deal. A sort of commensurate one in actual shots on goal for 60 minutes. And these are probably also a product of his worst shot attempt share ever uh, while he's on the ice. He's only seeing 40% of shot attempts going towards the opposing net. That means 60 are coming at him. It looks like he might be having a harder time getting out of his zone than usual. So all this to say, if you own Wayne Simmons, listen closely to the rest of this episode because we have a lot of potential replacement options that you should absolutely consider for him. And one might be, depending on your league, Nolan Patrick, the guy who we were just talking about that bumped Simmons from that top power play. He's still been doing just fine. He has assists in each of his last three games. Helps to be on a line with Jacob Voracek, of course. Still, his value obviously takes a hit off the top power play. If, Brian, you picked up Nolan Patrick during the Simmons injury, would you be considering dropping him right now? And I guess you could also compare Simmons to Patrick himself. Like, let's take a look at Philly's schedule. They play Monday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday next week. So four games is good, but only one game until thursday isn't great like theoretically you might want to get the monday game from your philly guy then maybe drop that person grab an edmonton or dallas player who plays tuesday wednesday and then get someone like nolan patrick or someone else that plays three times between thursday and sunday so i'm really like gaming the schedule right now which i think is a very good strategy when you're looking into your week your playoff week plan ahead see when you're going to add and drop these people to get maximum games played but anyways of course if you were to say drop nolan patrick right now to try to you know maximize get those tuesday wednesday games you might risk losing him someone else might pick him up and you'd risk losing his five points in his last five games or whatever potential he has moving forward. So I guess in general, is Nolan Patrick droppable right now off the top power play or is he worth holding just because he's been so good lately? No, he's worth holding because he's been so good lately. And we know if there's an opening for him to slide onto that top power play, he's going to take it. If Nolan Patrick holds with Voracek at even strength, I would absolutely prefer him to Wayne Simmons. Okay, and then another guy to maybe compare these guys to is Travis Konechny, another guy on Philly who I'm kind of concerned about right now. I know it's only been two pointless games in a row, but he's played less than 13 minutes in each of those games when he's been at like 17 plus minutes almost every game for a long while now. Do you have any insight, Brian, into why Travis Konechny's ice time has been cut? Is it just due to his like four and two penalty minutes in the last two games? Like, I know that means less time for him to play, but you wouldn't think that would lead to like a five minute cut. Maybe the coach has upset at him for taking these penalties. I'm just curious to know, like, should Konechny owners be concerned? He's been so good for so long. He's still on line one. But all of a sudden, I don't know, pointless in two games, lower minutes, color me concerned for my fantasy playoffs. 
Okay, I'll also color you with some context in that Nolan Patrick, for whatever it's worth, had also been at only 14 minutes for three straight games before seeing more than 16 minutes on the second line against Winnipeg in the most recent game. So uh, you didn't seem so concerned about Nolan Patrick. He was still able to produce in his limited time in a good even strength spot. I still feel Konechny is probably in the same spot. And we know that one of those games where Travis Konechny did see low minutes was because he was benched. He took a bad and untimely third period penalty and was stapled to the bench for the rest of the game. So I'm not expecting that to happen too often. I'm not panicking too hard about Travis Konechny so long as he is still up on the top line with Giroux and Couturier. All right, that's fair, though. Couturier, Brian, one more Philly guy I'm going to ask you about that I promise we could move on. It was, this is my brother who asked me to ask you, why is Sean Couturier pointless in four games, and should he be concerned about him? No, I don't think so. I think it's just a rough patch for Sean Couturier. Only two assists in his last eight games, if you want to go further back, which might be why your brother is more concerned than you're letting on. But Couturier is still taking shots, averaging three shots per game in that eight-game run, despite scoring no goals. Look, Philadelphia has been held to two goals or fewer in seven of their last eight games, just nine goals total over those seven contests. And the eighth game was that crazy 7-6 loss to Tampa. So there are going to be casualties with that when you're only scoring nine goals in, well, a select sample of seven games. None of these casualties I expect to last too long. So I am counting on Sean Couture to get back in the goals or assist column. Either one will do. Okay, so we'll have to follow and see. Like I said, Philly has four games next week. Let's see who ends up being the better options between Simmons, Couturier, and Patrick. I think it could be close. But okay, let's go to some actual injuries now. We're actually in the injury section. So why don't we deal with a couple of really big names who have gotten hurt? And we have to start with Brock Besser, who fell awkwardly into the Canucks' partially open bench door on Monday, and he suffered a soft tissue injury and a small, non-structural, non-displaced fracture of the transverse process in his <laughs> lower back. Wow. I'm, you know, I'm glad it's a soft tissue injury and not a hard tissue injury. Oh, those, yeah, those are, are those are the worst. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But okay, still not great news for Brock Besser. Like the good news is he's, it's not like career ending. I, I saw, I think it was Cam, Cam Robinson, who's been on our show and is really great. He like retweeted something basically saying, oh, it's not career ending. Like, I didn't even realize that was a concern. That would have been so terrible. So no, it's, the prognosis is that Brock Besser is going to be out four to six weeks, which in other words means he's basically done for the season, done for the fantasy season. Canucks are making the playoffs. So done for the season. Sad way to end such an amazing rookie year. He ends with 29 goals and 55 points in 62 games. That's a 38 goal and 73 point pace if he would have played all 82 games this season. What a rookie year for Brock Besser. I guess we'll have to take some time during our summer series to discuss if we think he'll be as good or, hey, he may be better next season. We'll dig into Besser's numbers. But in the meantime, is this kind of like the Jack Eichel injury that happened a couple, I guess, what, a month back now on Buffalo, where we suggested that basically this hurts everyone's fantasy value on the team? We were excited about Daniel Sedin. He had been on a five-game goal-scoring streak before Monday, and now he's got only one assist in his last three games with Besser Hurt. Bo Horvat seems a lot less appealing centering Leipzig and Gagne versus being the center for Brock Besser. Though I guess, maybe, I guess it is actually good news for Leipzig and Gagne playing now with Bo Horvat, or maybe just the Canucks aren't going to score any goals. But let's mention, Brandon Leipzig actually has two goals and four assists in five games since joining the Canucks from Vegas. So Brian, maybe you can tell us, like, who is Brandon Leipzig? How did he get to Vancouver? And do you see him as being someone worth adding as a now top six player on the Vancouver Canucks, even though they are a Brock Besserless Vancouver Canucks? We also have Sam Gagne, who I mentioned. He seems to have gotten top power play time over the past couple of games. The Canucks play today, but uh, the game hasn't 
started yet starts at nine but so we can wait and see what happens with him then check the our exercise for the reader to go and see what happened to sam sam gagne's power play time today but he's had an assist in each of his last two games so maybe you want to look at leipzig or gagne as a beneficiary but mainly i would just be concerned as an owner of any canuck except for maybe alex edler who's just amazingly getting you peripherals all the time but brian what is your take on this brock besser injury and the fantasy implications i've thrown a whole bunch of names at you so let me know if any of them are piquing your interest Okay, well, first I'm going to start by assessing the impact of Brock Besser's injury by essentially agreeing with you. That's a big loss for Vancouver. Uh, Very small sample. They have two games without Besser. They've scored three goals only combined in those two games, uh, which obviously doesn't mean a whole lot. And it's also, before we get too despondent about Vancouver really falling off without Besser, this is a good time to mention that Brock Besser had only scored a goal seven times in his last 24 games. I mean, that's still pretty good. It comes out to just under a 24-goal full-season pace, but it's a more modest goal pace, Elon, than what you cited when introducing Brock Besser for this segment, but it's a more modest goal pace than the one you cited when you introduced Brock Besser for this segment. He'd gotten rolling on that crazy goal-scoring run back in November. Has been cooler since. Still very good. We're all very impressed by Brock Besser. So anyway, the Canucks are trying to move ahead without him, and maybe Brandon Leipzig could be a part of that. He's been waiting for a shot to be an offensive contributor after being a big-time scorer for Portland of the WHL and then continuing in that vein with the AHL's Toronto Marlies for the last three seasons. Now, Leipzig is 23 years old, turning 24 in the spring, 5'10", 180, former third-round pick of Nashville. Uh, He's now in NHL scoring role for the very first time in his career. Leipzig only had 13 points in his 44 games with Vegas this year. A low individual shooting percentage, although he wasn't shooting a ton, so he didn't deserve a whole lot better. But he essentially goes from playing fourth-line minutes in Vegas with Cody Eakin and Alex Tuck to top six minutes in Vancouver with the likes of, well, formerly the likes of Brock Besser, now Bo Horvat, Jake Vertanen, Sam Gagne. So no slam dunk that Brandon Leipzig is going to be a big contributor now that he has a chance to. But hey, he has two goals for us, six points, 16 shots in five games as a Canuck. So I am interested. We'll see how this week goes for him. And then beyond him, I'm not even that interested in the guys I just mentioned. Like Horvat has been pretty cool for a while. For 10 and Gagne, I'm not expecting a whole lot from. Maybe Alex Edler is the only other fantasy relevant Vancouver Canuck. Well, Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin, if you're looking for power play points or assists, I don't know. Elon, take it. I'm rambling. Okay, well, I just, uh, so wait, you're saying that Brandon Leipzig to you is the most valuable forward on Vancouver? Like, you, he's overtaken Bo Horvat? I was kind of saying, like, okay, in a league where someone like Horvat is owned, maybe you could look at Brandon Leipzig, but I would never expect you to prefer Horvat to Leipzig. That's wild. I'm just saying I'm, I'm very interested. Bo Horvat has not shown a whole lot lately. The, the run that we've seen from Leipzig as a Canuck is, I don't know, I'd have to go back a little while to find a similar run that Bo Horvat has had. Okay, well, that, that's fair. Maybe people should just be moving on completely from the Canucks, and we'll have to see if they'll be able to score. They do have games on Monday and Wednesday next week. They go Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. So you could grab a Canuck, or if you have one, if you have Horvat, hold him maybe for the Monday-Wednesday games, and then consider dropping him instead of holding him all the way through the week just to get a Saturday game where he may even be on your bench. You know what? I'm being totally unfair to Bo Horvat. I take it all back. Bo Horvat for sure, and then Leipzig. Okay, <laughs> good to think. Good to <laughs> like know you, had, looked, he, you You checked and saw who Bo Horvat is. Yeah, well, no, like I, I, he had a three game dry spell that for some reason in my mind I thought was like seven or eight. And really, he hasn't had a three game dry spell 
aside from that one since the very first five games of the year. So I'm sorry. I hope Bo Horvat and the Bo Horvat fan base will forgive me. Yeah, and that five games of no points at the start of the year was when Besser wasn't doing anything, right? He even got benched for a couple games to start the year, if you recall. And probably this recent run is with Besser injured. I'd be concerned about Horvat with Besser out. I'm concerned about everyone with Besser out. And Brian, you even said how like Besser hasn't scored as many goals lately. He must have been getting assists or something. I don't know. Bad news. But you know what's good news, Brian, is now it might be cheaper and easier to get tickets to a Vancouver Canucks game. Is anyone even going to want to go to a game to see the Canucks without Besser in the lineup? Well, maybe it might be easy to get Canucks tickets. There still are some tickets that are hard to get. Like, obviously, the Maple Leafs on a big run right now. And Philly, like we've discussed, who are going to be fighting for that final playoff spot. And if you want to get to see one of these really exciting basically playoff games as the actual NHL playoffs approach, then why not take a look at buying your tickets with our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Brian, SeatGeek makes buying tickets so much easier. It can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last minute deal, playing a night out with friends, generally I don't really have that like planning nights out with friends it's like okay you guys plan the night out you invite me I prefer that but if you want to take the onus you can buy a bunch of tickets for your friends man this ad copy for SeatGeek really assumes that you're a generous person if you're going to be going I guess you could share the link and then everyone could buy their ticket but then they want to all get the seats together but I guess one person could buy the ticket and then everyone else can chip in afterwards buy you a beer at the game I don't think that's included with your SeatGeek ticket but anyway SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find you a amazing deals and to help you get the most bang for your buck SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget and if your budget is especially tight then why don't we just throw you an extra amount of money off of your SeatGeek purchase yeah how about we do that all of our listeners get $20 off the first SeatGeek purchase so if you have never done it before this is reason to try it just download the SeatGeek app enter the promo code keeping do it today or tomorrow that's promo code keeping for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase, even the okay. day after tomorrow. Whenever. You know, and if you forget, you can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We'll let you know what that offer code was. It was keeping. Okay, let's go to our next big injury. We still have a few more, but no name probably bigger than Mark Shifley at this point. He suffered an upper body injury on Tuesday. We don't have a timeline yet, but I'd imagine we won't be seeing him back anytime soon with Coach Paul Maurice having said, we'll be real, real careful with this one. So I don't think they're going to be rushing Shifley back until they need to, like maybe right before the playoffs. I think he's done for your fantasy season. That's my prediction. So going into yesterday, the Jets' top six was scheduled to be Stasny, Ehlers, and Line, and then Connor with Little and Wheeler. But it looks like things got shaken up at some point in the 2-1 loss to Philly yesterday. Kyle Connor was bumped in favor of Matthew Perot on line two, playing with Wheeler and Little. And for the record, the top power play was Wheeler with Stasny, Line, Joel Armia, for some reason, and Dustin Bufflin. So, Brian, to me, there are four guys worth discussing here, and those are Kyle Connor, Brian Little, Matthew Perot, and Joel Armia. Let's not waste time talking about how Patrick Laine is amazing and he's currently tied for the NHL leading goals with 40, or about how Paul Stasny is a clear must-add in all formats at this point on that top line. We've already discussed that. You guys all know that. But the Jets have a very nice Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday schedule next week, so there could be a lot of value in picking the right Jet to add out of free agency. 
And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because they're available, the four likely free agents in the best positions to do well are all ice cold right now. But obviously, we can't let that stop us from potentially recommending someone in a really good spot, right? Like, obviously, the casual fantasy player is going to just take a look at who's got the most average fantasy points over the last couple of weeks, and they're not going to see Brian Little there. But maybe we can do some difficult prognosticating here and recommend someone who's not doing much lately. And Brian Little is the guy I want to ask you about. What's the deal with him? He was a 60-plus point pace guy for the last few seasons, but this year he's taken a huge step back. He only has 37 points in 68 games, barely over a half point per game. That said, with Shifley out, if Brian Little is going to be centering a top six line next week with Blake Wheeler and someone like either Perot or Kyle Connor, does that make him someone worth rolling the dice on to do something? Or would you be waiting for something to happen first with Brian Little before adding him? So Brian Little is seeing reasonable minutes and it's spent nearly all of them this season with either Ellers or Liney when playing at even strength until about 10 games ago, of course, when Stasny was acquired and then Little found himself playing with Perot and Roslevic. He did take a deployment bump last year. This is still Brian Little I'm talking about. Little lost a couple minutes of ice per game as well as his spot on power play one. And we talked about it on the show. Uh, that trend has continued into this one. But last year, it wasn't a big deal when we talked about it. We were concerned. But then, hey, Brian Little was putting up a 65-point pace this year in the exact same deployment, a very similar deployment. He's putting up a 45-point pace. So the difference between this year's poor pace and last year's great one in the same downgraded deployment, uh, you can find it in two numbers. First, Brian Little last year had a bloated shooting percentage, which he no longer has. And second, this year, Brian Little's IPP is down below 60% after having been above 70 for the last four seasons. So some of his fall off from a 65 to a 45 point pace is due to the absence of past good fortune. And some of it is due to the presence of current misfortune. Little's own individual offense generating numbers have tailed off as well, which is about par for the course for him as a 30-year-old. I still like Brian Little enough to be interested if he can stick with Blake Wheeler and ideally Kyle Connor. although I guess Perot would be just as good. I think there's big upside there for Little, but also remember that he really couldn't cobble much together with Liney and Ehlers all year earlier, so it's not necessarily a slam dunk. Still, Brian Little is a guy I'm happy to take a chance on this week. Yeah, or at least maybe for Monday and Tuesday, and then you can reassess. But you got to decide quick because the Jets play Monday, Tuesday. So, Brian, as far as Connor and Perot go, if, let's say, you are a keener and you're on Twitter and you see that the Jets practice lines are announced and you see that one of Connor or Perot are on that second line with Wheeler and Little, would you have any interest in that guy, like maybe compared to Brian Little? Like more interest? Yeah, like let's say you're trying to decide between the three of them. Once we get definitive answers that it's going to be, let's say, Kyle Connor on that second line for tomorrow's game for the Jets, who would you prefer them between Connor and Little? And you've said you would like Little, so like, would you even be interested in Connor? Yeah, I might be interested in Connor because I might be able to count on him for more shots than Brian Little. I guess if they're both on the same line, then I will take the non. Uh, I was going to say the non-Little guy, but I think I would go Connor, Little, Perot. Uh, but for no good reason. Yeah, well, I guess one reason is that they could easily get bumped, as we saw in the last game. It could be Connor there and tomorrow, and then on Tuesday, Matthew Perot gets there, and then you feel really bad about having wasted one of your ads on someone who's on the bottom six. And also, anyways, by the way, anything about Joel Armia on the top power play? I feel like that totally can't last, right? I have not seen any good explanations for why Joel Armia was bumped to the top power play unit. It's not something I can see a reason to have last either, but Stranger Things have happened. I guess if you made me bet, I would say this does not last more than one more game. 
Yeah, I guess it would be because they're trying to even out their two power play units. Like, why doesn't Nikolai Ehlers ever get to play on the top unit? He's having such a great year. He has 52 points in 68 games, and only 12 of those points are on the power play. So imagine if he was getting top unit power play time. Nick Ehlers could be a 70-plus point guy. But alas, maybe next year, I don't know. I guess they really like having that strong second power play unit. Also, by the way, Steve Mason returned from his injury, got a shutout versus the Rangers, and is now injured again. So he just like came in, sniped the shutout, and then gone. But maybe he's a good guy to stash in your IR if you're listening to this, and you can get a start out of him later on when he does come back. Like, let's say if you don't care about this week, you've already won this week, you have one move left, use it to stash Mason in IR, and then later on when you're in your finals and all of a sudden he comes in for a key game, you won't have to waste a move in. Something to consider. He clearly has something left in him, though it was the Rangers that he shut out. But still, they are an NHL team, kind of, right? Very much so. All right, and another goalie that is injured is Ben Bishop. He suffered a knee injury on Monday versus the Sens. He's expected to rejoin the Stars for their road trip next week, where they'll be in Montreal Tuesday, Toronto Wednesday, Ottawa Thursday, and Winnipeg Sunday. We don't know when he will play, if or when, but he's going to be back with the team at least. Though Kari Lednan has really held down the fort well. He's only let in one goal in each of his two starts versus Nashville and Anaheim with Bishop out. Let's see how he does versus Pittsburgh today. And actually, the game is currently going, and Pittsburgh's winning 2 nothing in the second period. So not the greatest start for Kari Lennon. Pittsburgh Penguins, they know how to score some goals. But Brian, did you know that like going into today, Kari Lennon has a 921 save percentage on the season in 25 games? I personally, I didn't realize he'd been doing so well as a backup on Dallas. Seems like he might be a really good add right now while Bishop is hurt. That game versus Montreal on Tuesday has got to look pretty appealing if you have an open goalie spot that day. The Habs don't score a lot of goals and Kari Lennon seems to be on a pretty nice run. Kari Lettinen is certainly thriving in a backup role, isn't he? His 936 even strength save percentage is his best marker since, well, probably ever. But we only have data going back to 2007, 2008. And prior to this year, Lettinen had never even been above 925 before this year. So thinking that he never was up to 936, even when we don't have the data from it, seems pretty reasonable. But Kari Lettinen cannot take all the credit for his good even strength save percentage numbers. Ken Hitchcock, of course, has done his thing whipped that Dallas blue line into shape, which has also given Lettinen his highest expected save percentage of his career, which means, of course, he's getting the best defensive support he's ever seen in front of him. All this to say, Lettinen is a pretty solid option for someone possibly available for free in your pool. I know it doesn't look that way so far based on tonight's game against Pittsburgh, but like you said, that happens sometimes against Pittsburgh. And he's not bulletproof or anything. He's still, at the end of the day, Kerry Lettinen playing in a better defensive system. Yeah, that's definitely fair. And speaking of the Dallas team, like, what do you think about their line combinations? Like, we used to always talk on Keeping Carlson about who's the guy playing on line one with Ben and Sagan. I feel like we haven't done it that much this year because it hasn't really seemed to matter. That player never does anything. The top, like, the only players on Dallas that seem to be worth owning in terms of forwards anyways are Ben, Sagan, and Radulov. Like, I'll mention Matias Janmark today on line one with Sagan and Radulov. Does that kind of thing interest you at this point anymore? Like, do you even care who else is playing where in the top six in Dallas, or is it just something we could ignore moving forward for the rest of the year? It interests me a little bit, although I do know Yanmark has had a couple turns up on the top line this year and has not made anything much of them. It does make me sad as a Jamie Benn owner, though, that he doesn't get to play with Sagan and Radulov, but that's as far as I'm really taking it. Cool, let's go to our next injury, which is Riley Smith over in Vegas. He has an upper body injury, and it's been announced that he'll be missing Monday's game versus Philly, at least moving forward. We don't know beyond that. 
Vegas plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday next week. So a really great schedule. We don't know how many of those games Riley Smith will get in, but he for sure won't be there on Monday. This opened up a spot for the newly acquired Thomas Tatar to take Smith's spot with Carlson and Marcheseau on the top line and the top power play. Unfortunately, this promotion has not gone very well for Tatar so far. He's pointless in three games. And yesterday, it appears that David Perron bumped Tatar from the first line mid-game. And Tatar ended up spending time with Haika and Hala in the bottom six, or maybe the second line. I don't know. Actually, you know, side note, Brian, this Vegas lineup looks pretty shallow when they have James Neal and Riley Smith out, like a second line of Tatar and Haika and Haula, and then pretty much nobody's in the bottom six. It's hard to imagine. Like, Vegas is so good. I guess they've really been carried by a really strong top six. And I guess just a balanced bottom six. But anyways, we're on a hockey analysis podcast in terms of general team success what we know is that as far as fancy relevant players go you want to have the player playing with marcheseau and carlson and it might be tatar but it might not be so i'm curious brian would you consider rolling the dice on tatar or any other potential vegas free agents at this point for their amazing monday wednesday friday sunday schedule next week like i was thinking tatar could be a great ad but with smith potentially coming back and tatar getting moved around the lineup i'm not so sure anymore like maybe alex tuck is the one worth considering. He's been on the top power play as well lately, along with Tatar and along with Carlson, Marcheseau, and Shea Theodore. But Tuck has three points in his last three games, along with 10 shots on goal. So I feel like maybe those are the two top potential Vegas free agents worth considering. How do you like either of those guys? Well, the very good Vegas schedule, like you said, is reason to consider any Golden Knight who's a free agent in your league, uh, including Thomas Tatar, I do share your trepidation, Elon, that Riley Smith being healthy, if if he is healthy and returns, that means unknown things for Tatar's deployment, which has not been all that great as a Vegas Golden Knight. Anyone who thought he'd be getting a huge bump in deployment, wrong. He was averaging 16 minutes and 44 seconds this year as a Detroit Red Wing. So far with the Golden Knights in six games, he's averaging less than 15 minutes. So almost a two-minute drop in ice time. Of course, we could still just be getting used to the system, finding a place, whatever. He could still do well this week, but I'm still, like, I'm on the fence. If you have him as someone who is playing a better schedule than, like, anyone else who's available, I think he's a pretty good shot to try out. I think I'd still prefer him to Alex Tuck because outside of grabbing seven points in the first nine games of the year, Alex Tuck has not been able to put up any consistent measure of scoring. So this nice little run that you mentioned, Elon, it's a nice little punch, maybe worth considering in very deep leagues, but I'm not jumping at the guy. I will hope that Thomas Tatar sees better, even strength deployment and makes something out of it than Alex Tuck in whatever small measure of power play time he might still manage to hold on to. Okay, well, I don't know. Like, what's a better line? If Tatar's playing with Thomas Heika and Eric Halla, and Alex Tuck is playing with Cody Eakin and Ryan Carpenter. By the way, we haven't mentioned Ryan Carpenter on the podcast, but he had a nice little run himself. I don't even know which line is better. I think if I were deciding if I was going to pick up Thomas Tatar tomorrow, I'd wait and try to see if I could catch what those practice lines will be and if it's going to be David Perron or Tatar on that top line. Something to consider. And sorry, like, by the way, I know now that I said that the Vegas, like, bottom six isn't good, I'm sure now they're going to score a whole bunch of goals over the next few games. Like, clearly they're about team i don't want to take all the hate from the vegas fans who already know that we've totally blown it with our analysis of them early on in the season very good team though i don't know i'm kind of predicting a first round playoff boot sorry <laughs> I, I think it's gonna happen also by the way marco j fleury he had a good game yesterday but overall he's been not as good lately he's been average not terrible for sure he's been amazing overall and he's been like average-ish lately so something to consider brian how about before we move forward we thank one more sponsor for 
this week's episode, which are our friends over at FanDuel. We're mentioning guys like Alex Tuck and Ryan Carpenter. If you're in a shallowish league, you're never going to consider these guys. But that's a fun part of playing fantasies to really know who are the like deep down. Alex Tuck is on the top power play on Vegas and on FanDuel. You can get him for super cheap. And that is the fun of playing daily fantasy with our friends over at FanDuel. It's fantasy hockey for everyday fans. New contests starting every day. You can play whenever you want. And there's something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from. Starting at just $1, you pick a contest, you choose your team, and you watch your score real time. And we've been doing a Keeping Carlson FanDuel League every time we do one of these mentions of FanDuel. And so we did one last week. And Brian, guess what? I came fifth out of 20. So I landed in the money. It was really fun, though. Of course, I couldn't defeat the thing who was amazing. He was smart and he grabbed Brad Marchand for his amazing five point game versus Detroit in that 6-5 Boston win. So we got like 64 points just out of Marchand. He also had Tory Krug, who had also an amazing game. You do well if you get those Bruins on a high scoring game. Of course, Marchand's also been like, he's injured today. I don't think we're planning on talking about Marchand later on the show, but it is something to maybe watch if he's going to be out moving forward. Don't grab him on fan duel on tuesday if it turns out he's not going to be playing though if he is playing watch out for another five point game but yeah it's a lot of fun playing fan duel it's a lot of fun trying to be brian and i this week it was hard for you to beat myself though it looks like it was pretty easy to beat brian it was very easy to beat me this week but you can try your best you can try and get in on that brian beating action if you haven't joined us yet this year to do it just uh Give it a shot now. Fandle.com slash Carl, K-A-R-L, to get in on our contest. It'll open early Tuesday morning, run on Tuesday night's games. Fandle.com slash K-A-R-L. Yeah, Tuesday's contest was also the last time that Taylor Hall got a point. He's had two pointless games since then. I had Taylor Hall. I hope I didn't jinx him by taking advantage of his FanDuel success for me and squeezing out all the production from him. I want to see Taylor Hall do well moving forward. He's another guy, Brian, in our joint league that might have cost us the week this week. We have him and Ovechkin doing nothing for the most part. Anyways, okay, let's move on. We're still on injuries. News came out today that Mark Stone suffered a leg injury in Friday's game for the Sens against Calgary. He's going to be out at least two games and again like this is a guy who like why would the Sens rush back Mark Stone they're not making the playoffs if anything it's probably better for them to tank anyway so who knows when he'll be back huge blow to Mark Stone owners he was on a 10 game point streak before the game versus Calgary he has 20 points in his last 15 games and 62 points in 58 games on the season I don't think I would have been able to get that right if someone would have asked me is Mark Stone over a point per game player this year I think I would have been like I think he's close but probably not but no he's been so so amazing I'm curious no actually Brian we'll have to discuss this in the summer series if we think that Mark Stone is this good like are you going to be drafting him as like a second round guy that you're expecting over 80 points from next year but until then we got to talk about right now and it's probably a big issue for us because I was planning on recommending someone like JG Pajot for next week. The Sens have a good schedule. They play Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, and Pajot has been on such a great run. He has three goals and 22 shots in his last five games, but I'd imagine a lot of that was because he was playing at even strength and on the power play with Mark Stone. Is this going to be another Brock Besser situation where now I should just be concerned about any Sen who was playing with Stone being able to continue the production they were putting up? Yeah, it really could be. This is one of those times when I wish I had a robust set of shot assist data that I could reference to see of Pajot's 22 shots in his last five games, how many of those shots came after a feed from Stone or some other Stone-related creation. Mark Stone is also very good at forcing turnovers, and without him, I don't think his linemates even get to exit their own zone and enter their opponents as often, let alone generate as many chances when they do manage to enter the opposing zone. So Stone's injury 
certainly does ding Peugeot's value, Dezingle's value, and makes me hesitant to add Peugeot well, and Dezingle to a lesser measure because I wasn't that interested. Uh, like I would be hoping to cash in on Peugeot's shot totals. I'm not necessarily counting on them to continue without Mark Stone being such a big straw stirring that line's drink. Yeah, I was actually really thinking going into tomorrow, I'm going to blow up my potential fab free agent acquisition budget bidding plans that I had tomorrow for Mike Cuffle, which is the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patreon Fans League. Sorry for all the acronyms right now, but I was thinking I was going to maybe bid on Tatar, who plays Monday, Wednesday, and I was going to maybe bid as a backup bid on Peugeot, who plays Monday, Tuesday. Now preparing this episode, I'm like, I'm not really that interested in either of these guys because Tatar got bumped off the top line. Peugeot doesn't have Mark Stone anymore. Now I got to figure out someone else to add because I do have Jonathan Bernier, who I added for one game. He did very well. He's now injured as well, so he goes into IR. Got to fill that spot in my matchup against Dustin. Try to make it to the finals of the Tier 2 couple. But you guys don't care about that. Brian, what maybe we do care about is Eric Carlson, since he is the namesake of our podcast. And I feel like it would be nice to talk about him for a quick second without trashing the Sens management or anything like that. Eric Carlson has been pretty great over the last couple of weeks. He has two goals and six assists in his last six games. He's now up to 50 points in 62 games on the season, which is good for a 66-point full-season pace. And this is on a down year, right? If Eric Carlson's on a 66-point pace on a down year, we would expect that he should be better next year or at least the same. Like I feel like it's just something to keep in mind because he's probably going to get downgraded in a lot of drafts next year. People are maybe going to be able to get him in like the third round or something. So don't forget about Eric Carlson. Even in a down year, he's still doing well, but we'll have to see if he also is hurt by Mark Stone being injured. And Brian, okay, let's talk about now the Buffalo Sabres. Last week, we talked about top power play guy, Evan Rodriguez, being hurt for the Sabres. And unfortunately, this week, we have another hit to that top power play unit as Kyle Ocposo went down with a concussion. So the Sabres lines yesterday versus Vegas were Ryan O'Reilly, Sam Reinhart, and and Colin Wilson, and then Pominville with Larson and Gergensens. And trust me, you don't want to hear the bottom six. It's not pretty. There is no depth on this Buffalo Sabres team. Now that they've lost Eichel, and they traded away Vander Kane, and Evan Rodriguez and Kyle Poso are hurt, there's really like no one there. The top power play yesterday was Ryan O'Reilly with Pominville, Reinhardt, Wilson, and Ristolainen. So here's my question for you, Brian. What should Ryan O'Reilly, Reinhardt, and Ristolainen owners do next week? Like, if you own any other Buffalo Sabre, you obviously drop them. But if you have ROR, Reinhardt, or Ristolainen, it's tough because they do seem like they should be worth owning, but Buffalo's a really crappy schedule next week. They only play on Thursday and Saturday. So you have to hold these guys all the way through to Thursday, not even playing, just to get two games on busy days where you might even have to bench one of them or someone else to play them. Like, so Reinhardt, he's been on a great run lately. He has nine points in his last 10 games. Ryan O'Reilly is the roster's current leading scorer, and eventually he's going to take over as the top scorer. He's only like three points behind Jack Eichel now. He's got 50 points in 68 games, so he's on a 60-point pace, having a solid year. Ryan O'Reilly, I normally wouldn't recommend dropping him. And then you have Ristolainen, who's pointless in three. It's been a real up-and-down year for him, but now going into a fantasy hockey playoffs quarterfinals are any of these guys worth holding in a playoff matchup with all these injuries and a crappy schedule next week and because like if you do hold them you can get a really good four game schedule in the following week but that's a big if you have to make it through so Brian what's your take should people be holding on to Ryan O'Reilly Reinhardt and or Rasmus Ristolainen even with a tough schedule and with a bunch of injuries Okay, so if you own any Buffalo, well, these three Buffalo Sabres, because it's unlikely you own another, what you need to do is you need to count how many games your team is going to play this week. Then you need to look at your opponent, see how many games they're 
going to get out of their roster in the same week? And if, after counting, you estimate a deficit that is substantial between your games played and your opponent's games played, then I don't think you can afford to wait on your Sabres to play on Thursday, especially if you may already have your lineup full without them because it's a, it's a reasonably busy night. If you want to try and hedge, like this is the ideal scenario. You drop Ryan O'Reilly or Reinhardt or Ristolainen only for someone on a team that plays both Monday and Tuesday. So Carolina, LA, Montreal, Ottawa, and Winnipeg all fit that bill. And then you re-add, you get the jump on re-adding one of those Sabres a day early on Wednesday. That's probably your best gambit, but it's still not guaranteed you can pull it off if someone else would rather add them earlier and wait it out till Thursday. And as always, you're going to want to check out your replacement options too. If you're dropping a Sabre to get two extra games played out of like Alex Tuck, I may be inclined to hold on tighter to Risto and the like if he's my best option out there. Okay, and what about like the injuries though? Like, are you just concerned that maybe they'll start to suck moving forward? Like now another hit to that top power play. Are they still going to be able to score goals? I guess so. That's the thing also, right? Like if you're holding on to Buffalo hoping for offense, you have to be ready to accept that they might have two games where they score a combined one or two goals. So uh, keep that in mind. I'm not, I, I don't know. They'll, I think they'll be... <laughs> about the same as they have been for the last couple of months. I know Eichel's been out for a while. Rodriguez and Ocposo don't concern me being at a whole lot. Maybe I should be a little more concerned. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, now they have Wilson on the top power play. <laughs> but I don't know. It seems a little bit worse. But I thought this was the week where you're going to be giving definitive answers. We know you can't predict the future. My definitive answer is that you can't rely on Buffalo for goal scoring at any time. So you probably don't want to be relying on them for this time. My move would be to try and make the move, add someone Monday, Tuesday, re-add them Wednesday. And if you lose out on them completely, whatever, you find someone else. Yeah, hopefully. It's too bad. Ryan O'Reilly having a good year, but these Sabres not only were not deep to begin with, but now they're being ravaged with injuries. I will also toss in that the Penguins have a pretty crummy schedule this week also. They play back-to-back on Wednesday and Thursday, and that's it. It's terrible, especially because if you have someone like Malkin or Crosby or Hornqvist or Kessel, like, you know, go down the list, Latang, you're obviously not going to drop one of these guys. You just have to suck it up. So if you have Buffalo guys and Pittsburgh guys, that makes it all the harder to hold on to a Buffalo guy. Let's go to our next injury. Oscar Clefbaum is going to miss some time for the Oilers after undergoing a procedure on his shoulder. The report yesterday was that he's been ruled out for the next two games. So it's yesterday's game. Then I guess now... Uh, Monday's game or Tuesday's game next week the next game but I don't see any reason why he'd get rushed back at this point the Oilers just like the Sens have nothing to play for if anything it's probably better for them to lose so I wouldn't be uh, hanging my hat on an Oscar Clefbaum return anytime soon and even if you were like he's been bad like we keep saying that he's probably worth owning because he's on the top power play but at the end of the day he has 19 points in 63 games on the year so that's just a big fat oof that's terrible what a bad year for Oscar Clefbaum. Let's try someone else. And yesterday, Brian, a guy named Ethan Bear took Clefbaum's spot on the top power play, and he picked up a power play assist. And I'm getting deja vu right now because I remember on a previous episode where I was saying that we were all worried about Andre Sekera stealing Clefbaum's top power play spot for so long. And then Sekera came back, Clefbaum ended up getting injured, and then it ended up being Darnell Nurse swooping in and getting the top power play spot for a bit. So it's always a surprise of which defenseman is going to be there on Edmonton is now, and now is no exception because it's not Nurse up there. It's Ethan Bear. So Brian, here we go. Who is Ethan Bear? Edmonton's got a nice four-game schedule next week. They play Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Is Ethan Bear worth a look? Ethan Bear is a 2015 fifth-round pick of the Edmonton Oilers out of 
Ochapawais, Saskatchewan. I hope I said that right. Uh, Ethan Bear is actually, he's one of six players of Indigenous descent on an NHL roster at the moment. Carey Price, Jordan Nolan, TJ Oshie, Michael Furlan, Brandon Montour, the other five. Uh, Ethan Bear, 20 years old now. He has 16 points in 34 games with AHL Bakersfield. This is his first pro season, and he's seen steady power play time there. So that's a pretty good thing. And the Oilers, he shoots right-handed. They can use a right-handed shot on their blue line, uh, and they can use some power play jump. So maybe he can offer that. I don't think it's impossible that Ethan Bear sticks in this spot for as long as it seems to be working. Jameson Wasiak, I hope I pronounced that right, at Dauber Prospects, sees him as a potential power play specialist within the next couple years. So this is his first good look at having that role. I'm hopeful that like, he can stay there. For a couple games, as long as he keeps getting assists, that should probably help buy him another game. Yeah, so the Oilers play Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday next week. So you could at least try him out on Tuesday. If he does well, hold him for Wednesday, Friday. Go from there. Or, obviously, lots of other options on Edmonton that might be available in your free agency. You have Darnell Nurse, who's pointless in seven games, but still putting up good shot numbers. Too bad he has lost his claim for that top power play. He was getting some power play time recently. Chris Russell is always someone to think about. 18 blocks in five games since returning from injury, so he's good. Adam Larson is back. He was gone for a bit. He went to Sweden for a family tragedy, but he's back. And in his two games that he's returned for, he had six hits and six blocks versus the Islanders and then eight hits and six blocks and an assist versus Minnesota yesterday. So Larson has been a peripherals beast. If you are like replacing Oscar Clefbaum in your lineup, maybe the easiest option is just to grab Adam Larson if you're in a bangers and mash league and rake up the peripherals. And by the way, on Edmonton, Cam Talbot, we have to mention, he's been heating up. He's got three straight wins and great numbers lately. I've been hearing of him being dropped in a bunch of leagues. We had a question on our Facebook group recently of whether the guy should hold on to Varlamov or Talbot. And at this point, you know, come on, Talbot is good. I think I might have even suggested maybe Varlamov. But now that I thought more about it, Talbot's in a good spot like he's the number one goalie the team like isn't so so terrible that like i said he's won three games in a row and he's been putting up good numbers lately right so you got to hold on to camp talbot for the rest of the year you don't drop him to free agency well no i think the question is if you don't have cam talbot and he is a free agent which is entirely possible do you add him and i think the answer is yes he's six five and oh nine twenty eight over his last 11 games only two goals given up on the last 64 shots he's faced in the last two games he gave up one goal in each of them so that's great but also, if Talbot doesn't steal those last two games, then maybe he doesn't get the win. So good guy to have in your lineup right now. Uh, just don't get carried away thinking that Edmonton is suddenly a very good team because Cam Talbot happens to be standing on his head for a couple nights, which in its own right is amazing because it really hasn't happened a whole lot this year. Yeah, always a great guy to own if your league count saves. And then as far as the other numbers, it could be a little bit up and down. But I'd be happy to have Cam Talbot on my team right now going into my fantasy playoffs and a really nice schedule for next week. Okay, next injury. Travis Zajac was injured on Thursday for the Devils versus the Jets, and he didn't play yesterday either. So, you know, we mentioned Pat Maroon being on the top power play with Hall and company in last week's episode of Maroon. If you picked him up, you got a power play goal and an assist in three games. So not so bad for a deep FA pickup. Maybe now, I don't know, should you consider Stefan Nozen, who took Zajac's top power play spot yesterday? I'd imagine probably not, right? You'd have to be in a pretty deep league to consider that, especially with the Devils having three tough road games next week. But I thought I'd mention really the guy on the Devils that at this point he's probably owned, if not, like you really blew it or someone or someone really needs to go and grab him right now you might be in a clown league sammy vatanen he's up to eight points in his last nine games 30 shots in that span as well so over three shots per game over his last nine games like i said 
even providing a couple blocks almost every game, which is not something he was very reliable for on the Ducks. I can't wait, Brian, to discuss Sammy Vatnin in our summer series of episodes. I wonder if he'll be over or underrated going into drafts next year. I could see arguments for both being the case. I think it's much more likely that he'll be underrated going into next year's drafts. Yeah, I guess the reason why he might be overrated is because he's on such an amazing run right now. Like, I don't know if he's a top 10 defenseman in fantasy, but clearly Taylor Hall and Palmieri and all those guys on the Devils are really showing themselves to be capable of scoring. And Sammy Vatnin seems to be locked in as that top power play defenseman. Though, of course, you never know. Stranger things have happened. Sometimes people get bumped like Petrangelo on St. Louis, who somehow was bumped by, I even, I even forget his name right now. I always forget this guy's name. He's Vince Dunn. Player. Vince Dunn. So who knows? But it seems like Vatnin's the guy there. Okay, let's go to Outjuries now. We're finally through with the injuries section and let's talk about ryan mcdonough who finally made his debut for the tampa bay lightning yesterday he was saddled at even strength with dan girardi another former ranger ryan we forgot to mention when ryan mcdonough went to tampa that he was going to be reunited with his old friend from the rangers we have to get out remember we were once talking about how we were going to make a big whiteboard and connect all the players and who they're friends with we forgot about that connection the friends map yes but we did not forget about that connection i mentioned it last week when you asked me where do we think ryan mcdonough slots in oh but did you mention that they used to play together yes oh okay i'll go back and listen and then i'll get back to you anyways mcdonough didn't have a very good return he had no power play time unfortunately sergachev kept the second power play unit job with yanni gourd and tyler johnson jt miller and Braden point which by the way sounds like a pretty good second power play unit like that could be the top power play unit on a lot of teams and also mcdonough he had a pretty unremarkable name in terms of stats he played 19 minutes and 15 seconds no points one shot one hit two blocks it's just one game, though. Brian, are you putting any stock into this one game? Like, I'm curious, how much rope would you give a Ryan McDonough going into a playoff matchup? Like, Let's say if he goes pointless on Tuesday versus Ottawa and he doesn't get power play time yet again, the Lightning don't play again next week until Saturday and Sunday versus Boston and Edmonton. So I wonder if it's worth holding a non-power play defenseman if he doesn't do anything on Tuesday for the whole rest of the week just to get a couple weekend games. I agree with you. I think that's about accurate. If he's not even seeing second unit time, then he might not be worth your time. He still could be good for a couple shots, couple blocks. So if that's worth holding on to that entire dry spell where he's not playing at all, then great. Uh, in a lot of leagues, it wouldn't be worth it, though. Yeah, and speaking of that second power play unit, the guy I dubbed Rip Van Winkle last week in Sergachev, he picked up a power play assist yesterday to go along with his two assists versus the Rangers on Thursday. So I'm a big dumb idiot. And in fact, Tampa, they've just really become a hard team to predict with the velocity of their line shakeups. Like things change so often, you can't keep up with it. Like last week, we were looking at Alex Killorn on line one with Stamkos and Kucherov. And he definitely hasn't been a bad ad. If you picked him up, he's had points in four straight games before getting nothing yesterday versus the Habs. But then yesterday, it looked like Tyler Johnson was going to be on line one. He started the game with Kucherov and Stamkos, and Killorn was on line three with Adam Ernie and Anthony Chirelli, and Killorn was still on the top power play, by the way. But then at some point, it looks like JT Miller took over on the top line, and Tyler Johnson moved to line two to play with Yanni Gourd and Braden Point. So... I don't know. Looking at it all now, I guess JT Miller might be the obvious ad for Killorn if you're still holding on to Killorn and Miller is available. If Miller's going to be the guy playing with Stankos and Kucherov, that'd be really good. And JT Miller, he had an assist yesterday. He has six points in six games on Tampa. So he's been really good. Meanwhile, Tyler Johnson, though, 
he has points in three straight games after going cold for a bit. But if he's bumped from the top line, who knows? I, Brian, I'm really just, I have no idea. Like, how would you rank these three at this point? JT Miller, Tyler Johnson, and Alex Killorn. There's no way to know where they're going to be playing on the roster on any given day. But just moving forward, if you have limited ads and you want to grab a Tampa player, are there any of these guys that are especially appealing to you as someone who you think has the best chance of being in good deployment and getting points the rest of the way? My advice, if you're looking at any Tampa Bay forward who is not creating their own offense, so essentially if they're not Stamkos, Point, Kucherov, Hedman, uh, you just got to follow the line combos. Anyone is worth a lick if they're in the top six. And that changes frequently enough that if you own one of the Lightning that is in the top six, you need to literally be checking Frozen Pool or wherever you get your line combos every single night and also be flexible and nimble enough in your roster management to cycle them in and out as they go up and down into the top six and out. If I'm trying to rank Tyler Johnson, JT Miller, and Alex Kalorn, I don't think it's worth giving a ranking because it's just going to be whoever gets the best deployment. All things equal, I would go Johnson, then Miller, then Kalorn. But any difference between their individual talents and play is definitely going to be trumped by wherever they slot into the lineup on a given night. Yeah, that makes sense. So for this week, if one of these guys is available in free agency, and I'll include Sergachev there, wait until the weekend, and maybe you might want to pick one of these guys up for their Saturday-Sunday games if you need a boost to your lineup at the end of the week. Let's go to Calgary now. Mike Smith returned today for the Flames versus the Islanders. John Gillies was sent back down to the Miners, and it wasn't a good start for Mike Smith. He let in three quick goals in the first period. He's let in another goal in the second period. The game's not over now, but it's four to one for the Islanders. Mike Smith, 19 saves on 23 shots. So not a very good return, but it seems like he settled in pretty well after that first 10 minutes of the game. So we'll see what happens moving forward. Brian, is there any reason now for owners to hold Riddick now that Smith is back? Or do you expect Mike Smith to get the majority of the starts moving forward, just like what was happening before he got injured? Well, with Calgary, just one win out of a playoff spot, Mike Smith could not come back soon enough. The Flames went 3-7 and seven without Mike Smith, which is not totally surprising, as Smith had really stolen a lot of games for them, and neither Riddick nor Gillies uh, were up to that task most nights. So hopefully Mike Smith follows up this poor outing and doesn't miss a beat going forward, not just for his fantasy owners, but for the Flames too, who I imagine are going to be starting him for as many of their remaining, well now it's 12 games, as they can get away with, at least until they've figured out exactly where they're going to end up in the playoffs, which with the way things look right now could go all the way down to the wire. I could see Mike Smith running the table for Flames starts the rest of the way. Hmm, Well, he has to do better than he did today for that to be the case. And Riddick was actually finally putting up some good numbers. He had two good games. Maybe the Flames regret not giving him one more game today. We'll see how things end up in this game versus the Islanders, but obviously not looking good. Any thoughts on Dougie Hamilton, by the way? He only has one goal in his last seven games. Is it just as obvious as he's still shooting a lot, still getting top power play time, so it must just be bad luck? Or is there any reason for Dougie Hamilton owners to be concerned? I don't think there's any reason for Hamilton owners to be concerned. He has just one goal and no assists in his last seven games. Hamilton, the one thing I did notice, just taking a quick look at his game log, he's played less than 20 minutes in three of his last seven games, which is actually pretty odd for him. Have not found any explanation for it. But the good news is that Hamilton is still firing away in the minutes he does have and holding on to a power play role. So yeah, assuming that Hamilton is healthy and all, and that the minutes are going to still be normal, which is a small assumption to make, still an assumption, seems like it'll just be a matter of time before Hamilton's scoring gets back on track. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, like probably you're right. Like I'm sure Hamilton will be fine. It's interesting. Like in keeper leagues, he obviously is very appealing, but he does seem to be kind of streaky. He seems to go on really good runs where he's getting points all the time, and then he goes on cold runs like this. So something to be aware of. I've noticed it a lot. Like I think even if you just look at his game lock for the whole season this year, he was cold for a while and then got red hot. And hopefully he doesn't end the year cold. It's looking like that so far. But still, like you said, 12 games to go. One more outjury or an outjury that was supposed to happen is that Antti Ranta was scheduled to play today, but then last minute they decided he's not going to play today versus the Canucks. So Kemper gets his second start in two days. I do imagine that Antti Ranta will finally be back next week since he was close to being back today. So definitely if Ranta has been dropped in your league, now might be a good time to stash him in your IR or something and then get him back in your lineup as he'd been doing really well before he got hurt. It's too bad. It's been a rough season for Antti Ranta health-wise. When he's been healthy, he's been good. If only he could put together a full season being healthy as a starting goalie, we could see how good he really could be. Brian, how about we go to some hot streaks and cold streaks now to end the show? I've got a nice list, I think. Curious to know what you'll say. Well, there's only one way to find out. Here we go. Lots of players heating up on the Columbus Blue Jackets lately. This is an easy one to start because none of these guys are probably going to be available in anyone's league. So it's more just like Brian wanted to just chat about the Columbus Blue Jackets. But Artemi Panarin, 10 points in his last seven games. And I just picked last seven games just because it was an easy thing to look. He's been good for a while back now. His line mates at even strength and on the power play, Cam Atkinson and Pierre-Luc Dubois are also rolling right along with him. Then you have Seth Jones. He's been a beast. On D, he's had two straight multi-point games now, 10 points in his last eight. Even Zach Wierenski, who we were down on, he's been getting in on the funny. He has six points in his last six games. None of these guys are likely available. But if one is, I'd imagine you've got to grab him, even if it's only a three-game week this week, right? Like maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois could be available. And I think right now you've got to add him on the top line and top power play with red-hot Artemi Panarin. Panarin is for real. All those concerns about him not being able to produce when he's not playing with Patrick Kane, those are old, old conversation topics like no one asks about that anymore i definitely thought old news would have been the easier way to describe it columbus has 16 goals in their last four games uh, so they're not going to keep scoring at that clip getting all these guys all these points but even so some of them like the ones you mentioned elon can keep up the momentum that's begun pierre luc dubois you're right could be available as a free agent in your league if he is you should be interested and maybe i'll throw another name out there that you haven't yet elon alex wenberg Assists in three straight games, but of course, either one or zero shots on goal in like every game he plays. So maybe that's a deal breaker for you. One guy who has not gotten in on this action, Nick Foligno, just one goal in his last eight games and only three shots in his last three. Ice time is in uncomfortable territory too. He's snoozing, but I really hope he's not on your roster. Yeah, he was snoozing a long, long time ago. Then I sort of got interested in him when he was back on a line with Artemi Panarin for a short while. But that is old news as well. And yeah, Wenberg, he's been on the top power play with Atkinson, Dubois, Panarin, and Seth Jones. So sure, definitely someone worth looking at if you want assists, like a Henrik Sedin territory kind of guy. Okay, next team, I want to go to Florida. And Brian, I'm very intrigued by Frank Vetrano. He played on Florida's second line with Trocek and Huberdo yesterday. It was his first game as a Panther. He came from Boston and he scored a goal. And he had five shots. So a really good game. Florida plays Monday, Thursday, Saturday next week. So not the greatest schedule, but perhaps if you have the acquisitions available, it might be worth grabbing Frank Petrano at least for Monday's game at home versus Ottawa and then reassess from there. I feel like Florida's going to score some goals in that game. And <laughs> the Chotrek and Huberdeau are great line mates. And Frank Petrano, we've seen on Boston when he gets an opportunity, he could definitely throw a lot of pucks on the net and maybe one or two could go in. 
Yeah, those numbers you're citing are like new Bruin Frank Vitrano numbers. Now we're seeing his new Panther, Frank Vitrano. Vitrano actually played a career-high 19 minutes and 5 seconds in his Florida debut, which is a big deal for a guy who hadn't even been above 15 minutes in nearly a full calendar year. Not to mention, healthy scratched plenty of times along the way. That nugget, by the way, from Matthew DeFranks at the Sun Sentinel. Uh, good Panthers beat writer, if you're looking for one. Uh, Vitrano was also on power play two, got a turn in overtime, three on three, which is a great vote of confidence too. I'm with you, Elon. I'm interested in Frank Vitrano here. Two very good line mates too in Trichek and Huberto. He appears to have the minutes and the rope to get offensively involved. That makes Vitrano a potentially great deep ad. Shame about the not great schedule for Florida, but like you said, maybe start with Vitrano's game on Monday and then decide if it makes sense for you to hold on to him for his next game. And Brian, I know we already talked about him. We're already a team ahead, but just going back to Pierre-Luc Dubois quickly, I just had a thought in my mind. Did the Oilers, remember how everyone in Edmonton was so excited that Columbus took Pierre-Luc Dubois and then the Oilers got to get Jesse Pugliarvi? At this point, maybe uh, Columbus knew what they were doing. It seems like, I'd be curious to get one of our prospect experts like Cam Robinson or Peter Harling on the show and ask who they think is the better prospect at this point for fantasy purposes. It seems like it must be Dubois, right? Like Pugliarvi keeps getting opportunities like with McDavid and he still doesn't produce. I see your reasoning, Elon. I think it's hard to say just given like, and Pugliarvi's been bouncing all around the lineup. Edmonton is generally a mess. Not to say Columbus hasn't been a mess at times this year too. Pierre-Luc Dubois sure seems like he's a little more capable of driving his own offense because we have been interested in him even when he's not surrounded on a star-studded line. Whereas Pugliarvi, if he hasn't been playing with McDavid, then we really have not had barely any interest in him. Yeah, I was listening to the TSN Hockey Analytics show today and they were talking about how Edmonton overall like no one on Edmonton aside from the drive settle does anything when McDavid is not on the ice with them so Jesse Pugliarvi he could join the club but okay Brian let's now go to another hot streak in New York Ryan Spooner has continued his amazing streak he had two assists versus the Panthers yesterday he Hayes and Zuccarello have been great together and are looking like fantastic streamers right now the Rangers have Carolina and Pittsburgh on Monday and Wednesday next week so one of those guys could make for a nice early week stream I think I'd want any of those guys that Spooner Hayes and Zuccarello I don't want any of those guys over Pavel Buchnevich at this point Buchnevich is pointless in three and he was on line three yesterday he was bumped from the top line for Jesper Fast I am in full agreement with you, Elon. I would also want, I, I just bring this up because we were talking about Kreider and Buchnevich on the last show. I prefer Kreider to Buchnevich too. Four points in his last five games. Only nine shots though, so that's not too great. Okay, well, since you brought him up, I wasn't going to do this to you, but how do you compare Kreider to like Ryan Spooner, who's on fire right now? Kreider's still kind of sputtering along. He's okay, but Spooner's really on a good hot streak. But Kreider's on that top line of top power play, though. Is it even the top line of top power play? It seems like the Rangers are playing the Spooner, Zuccarello, Hayes line and their power play unit pretty much as often as the Zabanajad group. Yeah, I don't think Kreider is worse than Spooner, Hayes, Zuccarello, or maybe Zuccarello, but not worse than Spooner or Hayes, but I don't know that he's better either. I think it's a pretty equal top six right now, top power play, second power play. You probably just want a guy and hope that that is the guy who cashes in on whatever the next Rangers goal is. They haven't been scoring a lot lately either. 
Yeah, but they do have at least Monday, Wednesday, Carolina, those Carolina goalies, they don't know how to stop the puck. And then Pittsburgh, we'll see on Wednesday. But it could be a nice early week stream, like I said, if you want to strategize and get a couple of games early from a Rangers player. Brian, who's this guy on the Islanders? Chris Gibson. He's getting his second start in a row today for the Islanders. Looks like he's going to get the win. Calgary just scored, so it's 4-2 to two with 10 minutes to go. But overall, Chris Gibson, let's see. Today he is, wow, 42 saves on 44 shots. So that's a third really good game for Christopher Gibson, who also had a 3-2 overtime loss to Pittsburgh, and he had a shootout loss to Edmonton on Wednesday. And after those two games, his save percentage was 953. And it looks like it's going to stay around there after today. So, Brian, my questions to you are, does Chris Gibson have a strong pedigree as someone we're expecting to be a future starting NHL goalie? Like, is he actually a good goalie? And like, question number two, could you see him taking over the starting net for the rest of the season? Like, Yaroslav Halak has been very, very bad, and Thomas Grice is injured. And so it seems like the door is open for Chris Gibson to get some rope, at least until he slows down. And I guess my third question is, is this guy related to John Gibson? Christopher Gibson is not related to John Gibson, but he was picked in the same draft, third goalie off the board in 2011, taken by the LA Kings in the second round. Christopher Gibson was picked 10 spots after John Gibson and 11 spots after Magnus Helberg. How about that? Nashville drafted Magnus Helberg, passed on John Gibson. Can you imagine? I don't know that would have meant anything. Anyway, Christopher Gibson, he's a December baby. Uh, 2011 second rounder, I just said. He's just recently turned 25. Uh, The Finnish netminder not doing anything special in the AHL this year, nor has he since starting half of the Marlies games back in 2014-15. Christopher Gibson also does not have any kind of pedigree. But at this point, why not try him out? Halak, like you said, Elon, has been very, very bad. 0-4-2 0-4-2 in his last six games, topping out at a 9-0-3 save percentage in five of those six games. So it can't take too much to outplay Halak. The bar is low. I guess we'll see how far Christopher Gibson can take this. So far, it looks like he's going to take it at least one more game. Yeah, I'd imagine for next week, if you have Halak, you could probably drop him for Chris Gibson or like uh, Grubauer, as we discussed at the beginning of the show, or maybe a Kari Lettinen. Like it doesn't seem like Halak is worth holding right now because Christopher Gibson is rolling and he's going to roll to another win today for the Islanders, unless the Calgary Flames totally blow him up in the final 10 minutes of the game. Brian, let's end the show with a cold streak in Tyler Toffoli, who I thought would benefit from Jeff Carter returning, but instead is a sad, pointless in three games with only five shots overall in those three games. LA has such a great schedule next week, including Monday, Tuesday games. I added Tyler Toffoli on Thursday to get his four games in six days. And now, so far, two games, I got nothing. This is a shallowish league. I could have added a lot of other good players. Do you think that Tyler Toffoli is going to continue to let me down? Or do you think he can pick it back up next week with his nice centerman and Jeff Carter? Yeah, it has not gone as planned with Jeff Carter back in the lineup. Like you said, Toffoli's shots have suddenly disappeared too. Uh, His ice time has gone down. His power play timeshare has gone down. I picked him up in advance. Like I didn't need him for this week. I picked him up for a future week in one of my leagues. And I don't think he's going to make it that long. It's a pretty shallow league too, so I can cycle him out. Probably get him back whenever I want. But in the meantime, he is not providing a whole lot of value. Not to say he won't. Uh, like, I would suggest you hang on, especially with LA playing twice Monday, Tuesday, and then they play twice more through the rest of the week. So see how he does on those days. After that, it might be time to reevaluate if he deserves a spot in your lineup. The answer is still probably yes, but it's disappointing that he has not done better with Jeff Carter as his centerman. 
Yeah, unfortunately, he's not on the top power play. And it looks like in the last game, the top line was Kopitar with Tanner Pearson and Dustin Brown. And then Tyler Toffoli played for a bit of time with Nate Thompson and Kyle Clifford. So I don't even know if Jeff Carter was centering him. It looks like Jeff Carter centered Adrian Kempe and Trevor Lewis for a while. Things got really... Sh- well, that's the game where LA got destroyed by St. Louis and ruined Jonathan Quick's great numbers for my couple matchup. So it makes sense that LA was shaking things around. We'll have to wait and see what they decide to go with tomorrow. But Tanner Pearson also looks pretty good if he could be on the top line with Kopitar and Brown. And that would be even worse for Tyler Toffoli to make me feel like even a dumber guy for going with Toffoli when I could have had Matt Duchesne. Though Duchesne, as we discussed, might be hurt. Or did we discuss Matt Duchesne being hurt by by Mark Stone being injured? I know that you messaged me and said maybe not. Or I think you wrote this on the Facebook group because they don't play on the same line at even strength. But is it a thing, though, that like now the other teams could just focus on one line, the Duchesne and Mike Hoffman line, when they normally would have had to separate their defenses to go against both the Duchesne line and the Mark Stone line? Yeah, that's the thing. It's going to be a little harder. And on the power play, too, even if they didn't play together at even strength, uh, if they did play together on the power play, that might be a bit of a weaker unit. With Well, it will be a weaker unit without Mark Stone. I'm still, like, not totally thinking this guy is falling. So maybe they'll have a bit more defensive opposition. But they've been a pretty good line, too. So hopefully they can keep it up. Okay, yeah. And uh, by the way, on the Kings, can I throw something out there? Let me know if this is crazy. Why can't we make the top power play Jeff Carter, Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Tyler Toffoli, and Drew Doughty? Doesn't that make sense? Why are they going with the two defensemen putting Dion Phaneuf there and then Tyler Toffoli doesn't get to play on the top power play? All the other teams are going four forwards and it's going well. Dion Phaneuf, come on, get Toffoli in there. I have no argument with that, Elon. I feel like, Brian, you make it sound as if you'd be a really boring guy to talk hockey with. Like, unless I'm asking you a question that I prepared beforehand, you're just like, yes, I agree. No, I have no argument. You know, I've talked to you in person before, and it doesn't go like this. Um, Are you sure? Okay, let's 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 end the show here. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to us blab about fantasy. Good luck to everyone going into their playoffs or who are in their playoffs. We hope you do well next week and you'll still be alive to tune in to our next episode next Sunday. We'll be with you all the way through to the end of the regular season every Sunday live at 8 p.m. Or obviously you could download it later in the night on Sunday or first thing Monday morning. You could get the podcast. I guess, you know, you got this podcast, right? So you know where to get it. Why would I tell you? You could also follow us on twitter at keeping carlson you could throw us a five-star review on itunes or give us a review on whatever device or service you're using to listen to the podcast we wouldn't mind it would actually help us out a lot and it's hopefully not a big ordeal for you so we would really appreciate that if you don't mind we'll even take some constructive feedback like brian said at the start of the show where brian should get to the point and give definitive answers you could also let us know on twitter if you think brian actually lived up to his promise But with that, Brian, oh, well, I guess I'll also just throw it out there. If you really like the show and you want to throw us some support, it's not too late to sign up to become a patron of Keeping Carlson. We're going to keep pumping out bonus episodes all the way until the end of the season as well. So if you have questions you want Brian and I to answer live on the air for you to listen to, you can become a patron and submit questions to our mailbag shows and our patron cast, which are every week, midweek. So check out KeepingCarlson.com slash patron for all the information about becoming a patron and getting all of those amazing perks but okay with that let's cue the outro music and brian why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlton fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and supported by our patrons shout outs to a couple other of our most recent itunes reviewers delete yourself great name thanks for calling us fun and informative i think 
Elon must be the fun and I must be the informative. And also Doug Swass, who Elon listens at 1.2 speed. We've gotten a lot of feedback that even at single speed, it's too fast. I'm sure that's an exciting way to listen. We recommend, let us know how we sound at every speed. Give us one review for every speed you listen to us at. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoldies.org, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. One thing I've heard is that it's funny to listen to the show at like 0.5 speed or something. It sounds like we're drunk. So I never actually tried it, but people were talking on the Facebook group that that's the case. And Brian, were you throwing shade at me about like, I'm the fun and you're the informative? I'd like to think I'm throwing some information out there. I'm giving you all these numbers. I told you how JT Miller has five points in five games or six points in six games. Where else would you find that? Okay, you're fun, you're informative, and I will delete myself. <laughs> okay. Well, great job as always, Brian. And thanks, everyone, again for listening. We will catch you all with another episode next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sahn.